Hello, you're listening to the Lament Configuration Podcast, a podcast about shit that makes us sad. I'm Julia Graffera. I'm a graphic novelist and one of your hosts. And with me is Gretchen Felker Martin, horror author and film critic, the other of your hosts. That's right. I hear somebody rattling around in the hall with recycling, and it is stressing me out. We are just going to keep it loose and answer questions tonight. But we got some questions on Twitter, and I think we both had lousy days on Twitter today. So I'm hesitant to go over there. I have opened a page of mine, and I will go and find yours. So, But I did have a nice time. Um, instead of getting too mad online, I poked around for the for more information about that that funerary plaque about the ancient Egyptian boyfriends. Oh yeah. Yeah. Big Nemty. So their names were Jed and, and which is a, a ancient Egyptian, like a symbol of a, a pillar or a column, like an art architectural thing that looks like a, it's shaped kind of like a spine. It's supposed to be Taz spine. And it stands for the word like a, enduring you know like a pillar so that was the one guy's name oh and also i liked that because the ancient egyptians i guess believed that semen is is made in the spine so that's a fun name for a boyfriend in the spine that's correct and uh the other guy's name is nempty wear which means uh big nempty (laughs) nempty is a is a god uh he has a falcon head and he paddles a little boat or a big boat probably i don't know the size Thanks of his boat. Him. and where it just means big so he's big boatman and seaman spine those are the presumably then he has a he has a big boat yeah anyway that it's i was happy to just throw myself into that task i found the website of the museum that hosts that particular artifact and in their record of it, they had notation about what the hieroglyphs were that are printed on it or etched on it. And it's a like a pretty standard formula of a like funerary text. So it's easy to compare that with, with the standard form and find where the names are. But I couldn't at first I tried to just read it from the from the actual photo of the thing, but it was too hard to read for me. Anyway, it was a, a thrilling little intellectual exercise that completely took my mind off whatever I was mad about on the internet. And then I went back on the internet and, the thing is, and got mad again. The thing is that it's actually really nice to learn things. Yeah. Learning things is fun. I and love just a way better use of our time. Like paleography, translation, that kind of stuff just like makes my brain feel really good. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, I found your questions, too. Oh, good. All right. What do you got for us? All right. This comes from Emergency Grandpa. Emergency Grandpa. Sorry. I'm just imagining a little old man behind a sheet of glass, like, in case of emergency. We all need an emergency, Grandpa. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Is there hope for an end to the you are what you eat engagement with art media, or is it just part of consumerist culture? Hmm. Well, I think 
it's accurate that it is intrinsic to consumerist culture. We have like a system set up now where you create an identity based on what you consume. So, you know, you, you don't just use a certain type of shampoo. You like buy into the whole lifestyle or whatever. And the shampoo that you use says something about you. You guys all know this. This is very basic. But, you know, it's it's the same thing with media. And I think it will continue to be until we innovate a new and worse model of, of uh, consumer behavior. <sighs> yeah, I guess, like, my answer is that it's it's part of such an enormous problem in terms of how consumerism and capitalism construct the world we live in, that it feels like unbelievably tertiary to the actual things that we need to organize to do as a society. Like the things that violent revolution will be focused on overthrowing in the interim. My personal solution to it is that I'm trying very hard and have been having some success with, just ignoring it because people who live that way are not terribly interesting and engaging them brings me nothing but misery. Yeah. You can say that again. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I, I flatter myself that both in life and sort of wherever we go creatively, like the discord for our podcast or whatever, typically a bunch of people gather who do not behave that way and do not think that way. And that's the world that I'm interested in being a part of. Yeah. I think we get a lot of questions about like how to navigate this like horrible world of uh, media discourse that we are living in currently. And I think that the, we just, we don't have the power to change that, but we can opt out of it. Uh, Not entirely, of course. You still, you know, when you take the bus to work, you're obliged to see the ads for the stupid new TV shows or whatever. But you can make the choice in your mind that those things are not important. You can choose not to discuss them with people. And you can find art that is meaningful to you and have conversations about that with other people who care about it. And those people exist. Those communities exist. If you don't have one where you are, you can come and join ours. Uh, Gretchen just started having a, a film festival where twice a month she shows you some movies that are really good and tells you how to like them. That's true. I'll I'll explain to you how to have a personality based on liking the right things, which the only mistake everyone else is making is not having my taste. That's right. I mean, it's a place to start. Uh, yeah. You know, just find other people who are trying to live in a way that is not so totally ruled by things that are at heart just boring and soul-sucking. Yeah, the point is not that we want you to like the same art that we like. The artists, that's very personal. Yeah. But we it's honestly what we do want like it is. It but we do want you to have to cultivate a relationship with art in the way that we have which is that you can discover and experience things that you do or don't like or identify with, or maybe you think that they're bad and destructive, or maybe they're amazing and they change your life, but you 
can be receptive to things that are new and unfamiliar without immediately judging them. And you can understand that ultimately judgment is just one tool. And I mean, judgment here in the moral sense, it's just one tool you can use to approach art. And I I think it's typically far from the most pertinent or important one. Mm -hmm. Deciding whether art is good or bad is like, I'm really hard pressed to think of a situation where that is relevant outside of pointing out propaganda. Right. And I think it's rare that a work of art, including film, like perhaps the most populous art form has the kind of power and uh, impact that would allow it to do anything super harmful. I think in the way that like, senators are are slowly eroding all of our rights and and corporations are planning our demise from global warming as we speak and i think that good representation of like strong female characters or whatever like that is not as important as those things which is not to dismiss the power that artists have i think that we as artists have a important job and a responsibility to teach people to see in new ways. I don't know, not necessarily demonstrate like the world that we want to be in, but I think as artists, we can give people new tools. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We can show them how to look into themselves, how to sort of go on a a personal journey. You know, we're not going to change a Nazi into a anti-fascist or anything, at least not on a scale that matters, but we can give people a lens to look at themselves and through that to look at the world around them. Yeah. I mean, okay. Here's an example is in Manhunt, one of the main characters is Indy who is very fat and you talk about that a lot. And I remember talking to you about it when you were writing it. I just, I don't think I've ever read a book where there was a central character who was like extremely fat and the writer didn't shy away from it or try to make it moral in some way, you know, like you, not only in the sense that some writers try to make fatness represent some kind of vice, but, you know, also not in the other direction of like being didactic about like, Oh, well, you're fat phobic. How about this? Uh, (laughs) It's just such a humane way of writing about a person that when I was reading it, I I was like so moved by it because I realized that I had never read anything like that before. She's a great character. She's maybe my favorite Thank character you. in the book, actually. And I I felt like it is it's just rare to have the opportunity to relate to a character like that I think um yeah and I think that in reading your book and reading that character and this is just one example I think it creates an opportunity to think about fatness differently and I think that that is really important and it's not like that's not the point of the character that's not like you know the book is not 
the purpose of it is not to teach you to be like a, a human being with empathy. I think that in consuming works of art with unfamiliar perspectives, you know, it gives us the opportunity to become more empathetic, to understand the world outside of what we know. And, People that uh, we've never been exposed to become more human to us. Yeah. And in that sense, I think that artists uh, have an important job of teaching people to see, Yeah, to see, for example, like a fat woman in a new way. You know, for me, it wasn't so much like the, the revelation for me was realizing that I had never read a book with a character like that before, you know? Yeah. And that it made me think differently about like every other book that I've ever read. <laughs> like, why don't they have a character like this? Like it really, it, it did shift my thinking. I remember uh, reading for the first time stories that were about trans women. And that was profoundly healing for me just because like I never had, you know, mm -hmm. and it's not that there are none, but there are very few. And as a child, I didn't have any access to them because of the place where I grew up and the way that I was raised and seeing these things and having access to these narratives it's very, I don't want to say affirming. That's not quite right. It's like, it makes you feel less alone. Yeah. I think that's one of the most important things that art can do is let people know that they're not alone. Yeah. And the, it can awaken things in you that you didn't realize were sleeping and struggling to come out, you know? So I guess in summary, not to sound trite but don't focus on the parts of art discourse that are only going to make you insane <laughs> because you cannot you can't move the mountain what you can do is go around it and find something that matters to you and devote your time and energy to that you know what i think about all the time i think about all the people that used to have jobs in the arts in small communities for example like now you go to you go to a club or a bar or whatever and you listen to the same music that everybody else in the country is listening to but yeah before there was that there was like the local nightclub singer or whatever there was like a lot more jobs for performers yeah right? i assume and you know maybe her job was to just go there and sing the hits or whatever but it was still there's there we have we have a culture now where we have access to just like the best, most extreme examples of everything. Right. And I guess that's exciting. That's really great. I don't know. I don't, I don't think it is. I think it's bad for us. Yeah. I think, I think maybe it it's better to have like 20 musicians that you have a personal relationship with that are technically not as proficient rather than to have three that are the best in the world. I agree. You know, and I think that, especially in the world that we live in best in the world is often pretty fucking meaningless. Like, yeah. Cause it's really distant of, from what it is that you need. Right. The things I feel like we always come back to this, <laughs> but the things that are going to move you and like help you survive life and find sensations that get you through the day are not going to be big corporate packaged things. 
you can obsess over those things. You can pour yourself into them. But in the end, that's about you, not the the product, which is blank by design. So you can project. Yeah, those people are not able to talk about the things that are relevant to your life. You know, like a writer's room in LA is not going to have anything to say to you and me who are broke on the East Coast. Like They just have totally different lives. And aside from extremely universal things that that this is a meta filter comment that I can't attribute because I didn't look it up beforehand, but I think about it all the time, which is that the failure mode of deep and universal is trite. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, when you shoot for things that can be relatable to everybody, they're ultimately really shallow. Yeah. Which explains, you know, the huge majority of pop culture. Mm-hmm. <sighs> also, why aren't there any pop songs about fucking anymore? I don't know. Are you keeping track of the pop songs? I've, I've paid Not close that there's to- anything wrong with it. I admire people who do, Matthew. Yes. Uh, but I myself am not able to. I'm like on YouTube listening to Prague or something like yeah the cbs bangers yeah Um, i'm not very good at investigating new music my knowledge comes secondhand from matthew (laughs) uh who i've seen talk about how there's there's no real music about sex anymore matthew has so much Um, power to shape our understanding of, of modern music immensely powerful and just like so incredibly rapacious produces so much writing takes in so much music it's he's a dynamo anyway i know why is that um, guy not a household name he's like one one of the hardest working men in show business he really is we love you uh, matthew yeah you're 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 all right by us matthew this is matthew perpetua of the flux blog go to him for all your music needs this message not endorsed by matthew perpetua no He's probably blushing. Yeah, probably. No, he's not. Matthew's a Leo. He's just like, this is my due. Yeah. <laughs> Finally, somebody said it. <laughs> Shall we go on to the next question? Sure. All right. I'm, it was such a harrowing day on Twitter. I'm just I'm trying to get drunk as fast as possible. And it's a smart move. I'm so that I forget to be mad. All right. What are you drinking tonight? Some leftover sake that I found in the cabinet. Nice. <laughs> it's pretty good. Or no, actually, this is uh, gekiyaki. It's plum brandy. Oh, totally different thing. I don't right. care for plum brandy myself. I like it. It's, it's too definitely sweet for me. Kind of, yeah, it's sort of sickly sweet, but I, mm-hmm. I enjoy it. Um, All right, what's our next question? This one, this one comes from Grail. Very sort of short and sweet. Which Cenobite is your favorite? Oh. Hmm. I mean, I'm going to be straight with you. I I really am only familiar with like the first two movies worth of Cenobites. Um, Same. And I read The Hellbound Heart, but the primary, my primary conception of the Cenobites is going to be from the films, which I've seen many, many times. Uh, I guess pinhead would be the obvious choice i mean he's the one with the most personality 
Right. The others are, are just sort of set dressing. There's the girl, there's the fat one, and then there's mm-hmm. the one that's just a mouth. It's like a band. Yeah, they they really, really <laughs> do look like the Nine Inch Nails from Hell. Mm-hmm. Um, Chatter is kind of cool. Yeah. I like it's cool that he like females. turned out to be a little boy. Yeah, you gotta Didn't like he? you gotta wonder what the fuck was that little boy into? <laughs> Wait, but okay, so Chatter turns into a little boy. What about the butterball? I'm just He just turns that's into a stupid a fat name, guy. but that's his name. I know, I fucking hate that name. It's it's very offensive. And he just turns into a fat guy, he's just like the gluttony guy or whatever. He's just like a he's not even that fat. He's just like Fat. He's like eighties fat. Yeah. Well, that's very boring. That just became my yes, least favorite is. Cenobite. What about the guy He's who crawls along the ro- all in the walls? What's his deal? Oh, Doctor Chenard. No, the guy. You know oh, when Kirsty is like okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I know who you mean. The um, the Wall thing crawling. from the corridor. Yeah. 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 Uh, is that a guy or is that just a monster? I, I feel think like... that's just a, a monster. Oh. Dr. Chenard is pretty rad. Yeah, that's... I like Dr. Chenard. That's, I mean, the idea of an evil doctor is so erotic. Mm-hmm. And then you, you know, hook a giant dick up to his cranium and <laughs> embed a cheese slicer in his face. How could you go wrong? Give him those Doc Ock arms. Yeah, that's sexy. Yeah. Shit. Yeah. I was never able yeah, to I write think... like a, a, a thought about it. We talked about it like Hellraiser fanfic because I just Julia who I love, but it's just like too weird for me to write about a Julia and a Frank, which you know, Frank is like a sexy fascinating character, but it's also my son's name and I just can't <laughs> it just... Yeah, this is like it's the boner killer of the century this is like when I was hooking up with a girl who had my dead name. No. Oof. And it, I was like, oh, you're so hot. I cannot keep doing this. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. Did you try giving her a nickname or something? No, I just explained it and was like, this is too much for me. <sighs> Some names um, are just poison. Yeah. You know, like. They got they they get a little curse on them. You can't get it off. They're hot lava. Yep. So although I I find Hellraiser very sexy, like I have to keep it at a little bit of a distance. Yeah, that makes sense. sense. But yeah, I got I, I didn't got like my... I didn't I never saw it until after Frank was born. So it became so important to me. But maybe I would have named him differently if I had known. Probably not. Yeah. But maybe. Hmm. Frank is just such yeah, a good name. Yeah, I think name. in the end, it's a, it's such a good name. Everyone who I like tell an anecdote about Frank are all like, so Frank is like a 30-year-old man, right? <laughs> yes and no. Yeah, very true. Anyway, I guess my answer is Dr. Chenard. Yeah, I guess it's Dr. Chenard. That's, we learned something new about ourselves tonight. Yeah. The big, creepy octopus surgeon. Get Dr. Chenard and that David Cronenberg I'd like to fuck from uh, Nightbreed. Get them in a room. Yeah. That sounds great. I'm into it. Throw the Mantle Twins in there. Oh. Have a big old party. God. That sounds so nice. 
if nice is the right word. Sorry, so, I was just imagining us throwing a party with a bunch of hot horror things. With a, a hot evil doctors, specifically? Yeah. 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 Okay. Podcast listeners, just a, a little Julia and Gretchen lore for you, is that uh, the last time that we watched uh, Dead Ringers together, we discussed which of us is which mantle brother, and... <laughs> the conclusion that we came to th- was that uh, Gretchen is Beverly and I'm Elliot. Yeah. Because I'm more honestly, extroverted than we you. We talked about it for a while. Yeah, we did. We were pretty drunk. Um, well, not that it's that unusual a thing for us to spend a lot of time talking about. Mm. It's an interesting anyway, yeah, thing to consider. It is. You're more extroverted than I am. And you also are more firmly entrenched in being decisive whereas Mm -hmm. i'm still sort of learning how to do that um yeah i'm definitely like (sighs) i think between the two of us when it's just you and me i'm probably the more likely to be like okay here's what we're gonna do here's how it's gonna be yeah it's you know it's i certainly do that more than i used to but you're still the i think among the general population you're like able to be bossier than most but i think i'm bossier than you i'm also like you're definitely what oh i was just gonna say you're definitely bossier than me you virgo bitch somebody's gotta do it it's true if i waited for you to make up your mind we would take all day and also i wouldn't have your ideas which is i mean that's a problem right there Mm. i think i'm also like probably much more preoccupied with you than you are with like trying to pass as normal in in certain like I try to fit in wherever I go. Right. Whereas Which is I've... also like kind of off the table for you in a lot of situations. Right. Like just no. It's it's never gonna happen. I'm not gonna bother. Yeah. But like Ellie is the is the um the front facing twin. Yeah. He's the spokesperson. Whereas Bev is weepier. The fragile genius. And... Yeah, you know. <laughs> uh, God, I love that movie so much. It's so good. I mean, Bev is the one the actress falls in love with, though. Yeah, it's true. Bev is um, sappier. Sappier. He he is more emotionally available. Also true. <laughs> and just as in Beverly's case, it is not always a good thing to be that emotionally available (laughs) that's true i'm always saying to you like you are giving these people too much energy right i'm i have a a real tendency this is another thing that i've i've really tried to work on over the years when i can tell someone needs me or wants something from me i really feel compelled to give it to them yeah um yeah and you know, it it's resulted in a lot of sort of metaphorical cutting chunks off of myself to feed people who really don't need that. It doesn't do anything for them. It's just the only way they know how to ask for help. And it's all I have available to give. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just not good for anyone. No. Um, but yeah, like Beverly, my real weak point is codependence. Yeah, I was I was just thinking that Beverly is the more codependent twin. 
Yeah. Anyway, that's a little insight into our relationship. <laughs> Got another question? Yeah. What's your favorite Song of Ice and Fire sigil? This comes from Goodbye to a Shoe. Goodbye to a Shoe. What a great question. This is a good question because it's like not too deep. It's pretty fun. Yeah. And it's and also it's, like it's not a question simple. that's about how smart the person asking the question is. <laughs> right. God, we it's get a lot of questions from people who want extra credit. Answer. Sorry? From people who want extra credit. Yeah, absolutely. It's like we a, get a lot of know, questions that are more of a comment. <laughs> yes. I, one I really time I was like... on a panel where a guy said he didn't have a question, more of a comment, and I said, okay, well, this part is for questions, so. <laughs> Those guys are yeah, not allowed. That's... You, if you're on a panel and that guy shows up, you can just say no. Yeah. Like, see, the thing it's, is that, like, you're crazy. in the front of the room on the stage, and he's just like standing there. So if you make fun of him, everybody in the room is going to be with you and not him. Yeah, it's you literally. They have all know a what side the the bread is buttered on. You Precisely. can just tell him no. You're the talent. You're the talent. Anyway, Song of Ice and Fire sigil that you like the best. Just the sigil or like with the, I know it doesn't specify, but should, should we talk about the house words and all of that? The colors? I don't see why not. Mm. I mean, the, uh, the Greyjoy sigil is like very badass, but it yeah. also like the Greyjoys are such scumbags. And they're so... They're we so, do like, not so is and... such a, ra- a motto that like represents something so vile. Yeah, truly, it's just like it's just the worst. All it really <laughs> means is like hereditary aristocracy. <laughs> yeah, and like we steal everything. Right, the Greyjoys are tax collectors who kill you so they can pretend they're badass. So bogus. That's I guess that's really all piracy is. Like, yeah, piracy is not that cool. It's I know cool that... tax collecting. Yeah. But yeah, definitely the Greyjoys have a super rad sigil and word combo. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, they're just they're just turds. I know, like, it's hard not to relate to the Starks. Obviously, winter's coming. They're right. Direwolves are also very rad. But I just... I my reluctance to identify with the good guys in a story is, is prevents me from, from selecting them. There's probably like some more obscure houses that I'm not even going to think of that have some really cool sigils. Actually the, um, uh, the Aaron one with the moon and stuff. That's pretty cool. Oh yeah. The moon and Falcon. That's really cool. Yeah. The Eyrie is also a really cool castle. Yeah, it is. That's it like, rules that it's fucking hard to get up there. Yeah, it's like the most sort of fantasy castle yeah. in the series. All the, the I'm not going to say this is not talked about enough because frankly I, I do not circulate in the places where it might or might not be talked about, but the castles in A Song of Ice and Fire are so fucking rad. Heron Yo, Hall. They look amazing. Hall is cool as hell. Yeah. It's like all melted from being attacked by dragons and also enormous. Fucking, fucking Casterly Rock that's like literally carved out of a cliff. 
Right, it's like the rock is of mostly, Yeah. Is mostly prisons. Yeah. <laughs> and mines. Oh. And like sea caves and shit. That is cool no, as no. hell. Like the Red Keep, which is like a Red castle is cool. on top of the castle on top of a castle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just... Or uh, Pike is also super cool. Mm-hmm. Um, the three towers built out on, like, salt-eaten islands so that they're, like, teetering. Yeah. Super cool. Um, Winterfell is cool. It's got, like, greenhouses and stuff. It's all warmed by natural springs. That's bad as hell. Yeah, it's very cool. You know what it is about the Starks? They're like the the Mario of that, that universe. Like they the, are. They're, they're the Kermit. Yeah. They're just they're just some guy. Yeah. I'm sorry, Sean. <laughs> um My favorite family is definitely the Lannisters. I know, I like the Lannisters best too. But I think my favorite sigil is the Boltons. Yeah, that's pretty badass. Just like a full-on Hellraiser flayed man nailed mm-hmm. to a St. Catherine's cross that whips. I think it's... Uh, St. Andrew's cross. Yeah, that's right. And I think I think their words are, uh, our knives are sharp, which is fine. That's not that good, but that's fine. Yeah, they, they could have done better. <laughs> oh, what's the uh, Dondarian one? um that one's cool right it's like purple with a comet or something it's a lightning bolt yeah let's find out uh their words are strike them down whatever yeah that's boring what's the sigil though um it's three bolts of purple lightning that's cool yeah baratheons have a cool a cool motto ours is the fury yeah that's kind of cool it's too bad the baratheons suck so much Oh, they all suck. Every last one of them is a piece of shit. You know what really sucks is Baratheon fanboys. Ugh. Who who are these people? I don't know. I mean, I guess I understand people liking Stannis because a lot of people have bad relationships with their fathers. <laughs> it's the Robert apologists that really scare me. Oh, I have I have encountered this. I even had someone say to me, all right. This is a a very Gretchen sentence, but I was once asked to leave a Vietnamese restaurant because I got in a shouting match with a girl I was on a date with who said that Robert didn't rape Cersei because you can't rape your wife. Yeah. I don't... I... How? I truly, like... I, she was just an evil fucking person. Um, that is sad and weird. It was really sick. You did the right thing. Thank you. I I think I was also correct to get myself thrown out of that very nice restaurant that I have not back been back to since. It's too bad about the restaurant, but yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. It is really creepy when people sort of buy into Robert's whole like washed up jock thing. Yep. Because he's yeah. very he's very charming and that's sort of the point of him. Yeah. I mean, I I I read a fanfic that was like an AU where everybody was, it was like high school and college and he was like the star football player or whatever. And it, it, I don't really like high school AUs generally speaking, but it really worked. I was like, Oh yeah, he is that guy. He is just like the washed up star 
quarterback or whatever. I don't know football. Yeah, absolutely. Things. He's uh, he's the guy who peaked at eighteen, mm-hmm. and he's sort of po faced about the things that he does to women. Mm-hmm. And I th- I think a lot of younger men, and I'm sure some older men, find that appealing, mm-hmm. which I hate. Oh. Personally, Julia, I wish they would Barathe off. Yes. I wish they would Barathe less. So I guess the coolest sigil is the fucking Kraken. Sad but true. It does whip. It does absolutely kick ass. And you're on Greyjoy. Kind of awesome. Yeah. Honestly, An like... evil fuck, obviously. But sure, also... But- Rad. Lovecraft, I love an evil wizard. Lovecraft Pirate King is is pretty fucking sick. Yeah. Man, no one can just sort of mash a bunch of unrelated things together and make the result look good like George, huh? I know, right? Just I'm, so good. I, I, I would be happy if Book Euron and, and Cersei end up fucking. Oh, that would rip. Yeah. Oh, I love Cersei so much. Me too. Because I have a very normal relationship with my mother. That's correct. That's right, sweetie. Doctors. <laughs> All right. Give us another question. All right. This comes from Air, friend of Corbett's. Hmm. Describing horrifying things being inflicted on someone can be incredibly beautiful. What are some of your favorite examples of this in your own or others' work? Hope this question makes sense. Love your podcast heart emoji. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Air. I'm trying to think. Oh, you know, right off the top of my head, the torture scene in both the novel and the film Casino Royale, where Le Chief is swinging this, like, tarred and weighted rope into James Bond's balls over and over again. That's really good. It's hot. It's immediate. It really gets the point of torture, which is to convey to someone that their body is about to become irrevocably altered unless they do what the torturer wants. Mm-hmm. It's just like, oh, what a fucking great scene. And even Bond's like just clinging to sanity machismo through it is so good like they're you know Lashif is literally just bashing his manhood to pieces uh so good yeah and he has a monologue about it too he's like listen like you and i both know there's only a uh so many times i can do this before you uh before i destroy your balls yeah (laughs) it's so great and I, it's something that, like, a lot of torture in adventure film really misses. Like, I guess the one that springs to mind is in Empire Strikes Back, Han Solo gets tortured. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's nothing. He just gets held up to this board that, like, makes sparks and little electric arcs. Pain is is not the point of torture. I mean, it, mm-hmm. you know, it's a tool. But the point of torture is that you're body is vulnerable and weak and someone can take parts of it away and they cannot be put back you know the point of torture is realizing that if you don't tell someone what they want to hear you might never walk again Mm -hmm. 
so there's a poem that I really like. Um, and it's by a writer named Lawrence Minet. And I think that I first came across it because I was researching Richard Topcliffe, who was the official torturer for Queen Elizabeth I and was responsible for interrogating the um, 40 martyrs of England and Wales, among other things. Uh, but I found it because I was doing a project about the 40 martyrs of England and Wales at the time. And the poem is called Richard Topcliffe, Torturer to the Queen. And I have it here, so I'll read it to you. Please. Death's coming must not be too quick. Life must seep slowly from each crack. Within the tortured's porous soul, it must ooze like oil through a sack. Anguish makes death a dirty trick. The flame must linger on the wick till it shows life is such a black, remorselessly unfathomed hole. Men plead for death upon the rack more desperately than clocks tick. What makes of torture a high art is to prolong it as skilled lovers prolong the pleasures they impart in the deep warmth beneath the covers. That's my favorite poem actually. It's really beautiful. <laughs> I don't know anything else about this writer. I've tried and failed to find out more about him, but uh, but I think about that a lot, about how the object of torture is to create this sense that your your life has become a very fine point of incredible pain and will continue to be that forever. Yeah, you're creating a reality. Mm -hmm. Life is such a black, remorselessly unfathomed hole. <laughs> oh, it's very good. Um, I think that the the Star Trek: The Next Generation two part episode, Chain of Command, where Picard gets captured by a Cardassian and tortured over a period of time is really powerful. It's hard to watch. Um, oh man, it's so good. Yeah. And I think I remember Patrick Stewart talks about, you know, working with like Amnesty International to, uh, to create like an accurate depiction of the experience of torture. And it, it does a thing that I don't really like very much, which is kind of like you were talking about with Star Wars, that the torture device is like a pain resonator or whatever. When in reality, uh, mutilation is an important part of torture. The idea that your body is going to be destroyed. But the relationship that he develops with his torture and his, like the way that you see his reality breaking down and becoming smaller and smaller is really powerful and it is really like it's very upsetting because you that's like a maybe like season eight or something like you at this point have everybody loves Picard so much he's like a symbol of like like virility and leadership and wisdom and morality like all this stuff like it's very it's very hard to watch him get broken down yeah and I think it's really important to see that too because you, you know, the trope of like the guy who's so badass that like he can't be, he that he can stand up to torture. Like it's a myth and I think maybe a harmful one. 
because everybody breaks under torture sooner or later. Yeah. Um, God, I'm remembering, I just recently screened the devils for an audience (laughs) with a pretty significant, sorry, a pretty significant portion of which had never seen it before, Mm -hmm. which was really cool. Um, But I remember coming to the part where Grandier, who's played by Oliver Reed, is being tortured. And he's this incredibly charismatic, virile, desirable, and principled man. In, in his own way. And he says to the man who's going to torture him, I shall scream and confess to everything. Mm-hmm. And the man says, Oh, please, a man like you. And he says all the more and just acknowledges that it's a front that no one is proof against misery with no end in sight. Nobody is smarter than their body. Yeah, precisely. So keep that in mind. If you ever get tortured, tell them whatever it is they want to hear. Yeah, just start saying shit. Unless other people's lives are on the line. Then try to hold out. Then make shit up. Lie until your tongue turns black. Yep. Say, you can Uh, say the truth, but you got to say so much other shit that they don't know. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I really like... This is kind of a silly one, but I really like um, the scene in The English Patient where there's a character, Caravaggio, whose thumbs have been cut off by Nazis uh, when he's being interrogated. And uh, the guy who's interrogating him says, you can keep one finger for each name that you tell me. But it kind of it goes haywire. But they have him handcuffed both hands to he's like lying across a table with his hands handcuffed to the legs of the table, if that makes sense. And then when they cut off his thumbs, he uh, flips the table. And then because he no longer has thumbs, he slips out of the handcuffs. Right. And it's just like the compounding mess of it. And just there's, they keep getting phone calls during it also and the torture is like oh my god who keeps calling uh it's almost funny it's hard to laugh when you're watching it but i don't know i think it's great i think it's a great scene i like that was that in the movie mm-hmm. yeah i remember enjoying it because it's willem dafoe in the movie yeah willem dafoe plays caravaggio yeah and he's, he's very charming um, he's great it's fun yeah. to, I mean, Willem Dafoe is sexy. Like it's, it's yeah. Caravaggio is not as sexy as Kip or the English patient. So it's like great to let him be sexy in the movie. God damn. Kip is sexy. Everybody is so sexy in that movie. They're all, Kip they're is all really sexy. Terminally sexy. It's they're They're very sexy in the book and they're even sexier in the film. It's just a very attractive movie. I do think that um, the titular patient's burns are a lot sexier in the book. Oh, yeah. Well, because he's like, uh, like his burns have been tinted by the, I mean, it, it it's not a good visual. I can see why they didn't keep it. But like his skin is dyed black. Right. And he's, he's also just like much more disfigured than he is in the film. But when you first see him, like when he is being, uh, tended to by Bedouins who found him in the desert. Like 
He's very gruesome looking. Yeah, extremely. You wish that he could have looked like that all the way through. Yeah, you do. It's great. Anyway, this seems like a good place to stop. Sure. All right. You've been listening to Lament Configuration, a podcast about the shit that makes us sad. You can follow us on Anchor or wherever your podcasts are listened to, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, where if you felt inclined to leave us a review, we would be much obliged. Uh, Am I forgetting anything? Mm, We have a Discord. Uh, We might or might not post the link to it, but if you want to know what it is, remind us to post the link to it. It is a place where you can continue conversations that you uh, have been trying to have with the podcast, but we can't hear you, which makes it difficult. But in the Discord, you can make us listen. So so if you've been shouting at your computer while we talk... Come shout on Discord. Yeah, come yell at us. Yeah, I'm, I'll probably mute it, but yeah. you can try. <laughs> uh, I love you, my brother. I love you, my brother. Good night. Game to bar. Game to bar, as per usual.